homework for you, not a homework, but you know, extra credit. You know, this morning, those of you guys maybe came in a little late, uh, Kaylin actually mentioned that right now, right now, uh, those of us who have the same kind of a time zone um, are worshiping. And those of us who are actually in Asia, they probably have worshiped already because they're in the nighttime. Now, you know, um, as we kind of celebrate and commemorate 4th of July, liberation from, you know, right? Um, how many of you guys woke up this morning and said, I am so glad that I actually have a liberty, a freedom of going to a place to worship? Because if you know, right, if you know that there are a lot of places in this world are, are being persecuted because, you know what, we don't really have the freedom of religion. And so as you flip those stakes and ribs this Tuesday, I, I want you to say a prayer. And I, I just want to kind of remind you that number one place that religious or religion is being persecuted is North Korea. And so I, I want you guys to maybe go home tonight and say, you know what, where are those places, right? The top 10 countries are being persecuted. And look it up. And I want you to, as you flip those burgers, steaks, or ribs, I, I want you to say a prayer. Okay, say a prayer this Tuesday as you celebrate and make sure you call me, okay, too, all that. Let, let me pray. Let me pray as we dive into today's message. Father God, we, we thank you because in 1492, there was this bunch of people, our forefathers, Father God, wanted to have this religious freedom from England and, and we, 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 we established and in 1776, we were totally independent. And I just thank you so very much because of that freedom. And yet all of us who are sitting in this room, we are liberated from our old self. And now that we are new self, and we just want to glorify you. But also, Father God, as people of God, we want to acknowledge that there are people in this world are hiding and, and gathering together to worship you because there is no religious freedom and they're being persecuted. And I just pray that all of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we call the body of church, we want to acknowledge, we want to pray for those incidences and countries and, and those persecuted people, Father God, right now being persecuted. So Father God, as we dive into today's message and for the whole month of July, would you just allow us to be transformed uh, into a person, Father God, that you want us to be? Father, I desire in my heart and our heart, Father God, to be able to beat, to be able to feel, to be able to really know, Father God, what you want us to do at here at our church. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So starting today, we are on a brand new sermon series called Ready, Get Set, Go, commemorating Mission Month. And this year... And Mission Month has actually came a one month early because we normally celebrate in the month of August. We, we did that on purpose because in, in the month of August, we're, we're, we're celebrating Mission Month. In the month of November, we're celebrating social justice. We want you guys to understand that. Now, this year, we're celebrating a little, little early because of Pastor Andrew's availability. And we will be hearing from his missional journey to Taiwan in, in two weeks. But next week, uh, we will hear from our very own Scott Lynn, who has been at Radius for the past 10 months, and he will share with us how God has been preparing his missional call out into the mission field. 
And to finish out with the sermon series, Stephen will come up and share how to finish well in our own missional call. But you know what? The excitement doesn't stop there because we have a very, very special surprise for you. As you walk into the fellowship hall today, I want you to look to the right because on the right side of the wall, there is something very special. All of the CLC missionaries' names and their infos on this cool world map uh, where they're located, their ministry focuses, and of course, their prayer request. And so for the whole month of, of, of July, we want you guys to maybe go take a look and pray for all the missionaries that our church co-labor. And not only that, uh, the, the, the focus, the hope of this sermon series is to trace um, Paul's missionary journey from his pre-call days and all the way as he finishes, as he f- crosses the finish line. Now, I do know that not all of us are called to be frontier missionaries. But we really want you to understand that a, a, a call that God has uniquely placed in our lives to discern, to equip, to prepare and labor, and to complete the race that is set before us. And I also understand that not all of us are going to be like Abram or Abraham, responding to God's special call to leave his home, his family, to be a blessing to the world. But today I want you to acknowledge how one man's obedience brought such a blessing to the whole entire Israel nations. Because in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, this is what God said. The Lord said to Abram, now get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and that I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and all you in the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't that amazing? That all of us, and that's why we called Abraham the man of faith, because when he received that call, he took, he took his mat and just traveled to an unknown place. Now also, I want you guys to remind, how will the nations and the people of this unreached world going to be reached? How? By the means of one individual who is willing to open our mouth and share the good news because there is no salvation where the gospel is not heard or believed. How are those people going to be able to receive this love of God when we don't open our mouth, right? You know, last year when I was at Caravan Ministry, Something struck a core in my heart. And this morning, actually, Will actually said something that it was pertaining to this, this, this quote. Because on one of the walls, there is a quote from John Piper that reads, Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And mission exists because worship doesn't. Now, I want you guys to right now kind of digest this for a moment. Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And mission exists because worship doesn't. 
Do you buy it? Do you believe it? Is that true? Now, when I actually saw this quote on one of the walls at Caravan Ministry, and God began to speak to me that morning, I went back and I went through my little note, and, and I remember I clearly that morning's QT, as Pastor Stephen Nation was preaching afterwards, and this is what God had talked to me. If you could put all the commandments in the Bible, all the do's and all the don'ts, right? And there's a lot, right? And some of us, you know what, we don't like the don'ts, right? And we, we wrestle with it, we struggle with it. But if you could put all the do's and don'ts in the Bible, and if you could put into a one-liner, what would it be? And that's what God was talking to me, right? Talking to me that last November, that morning's QT. And he was telling me, you know what, Ben, if you could put all the commandments in the Bible, do's and don'ts, into one-liner, what would that be? And I, I began to kind of like, you know what, go through the process and I wrote, I think, Lord, I think you want my heart. If I were to put into one liner all the commandments, I really think that God wants my heart. Give me your heart. And so worship is the goal and the fuel that all the things that he asks. Worship. I want you to worship. Give me your heart. And especially when it comes to missions. Because mission is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not just private. It's not maybe a tribal, it's not national or ethnic privileges. It's for the whole world. It's for the whole world. And that's why, you know, some of us, and one of the things that we want you to do after our mission series is over, end of July, we're going to be taking, you know what, um, our volunteers for our this year's Mexico trip. And that's why a lot of us have gone to Mexico and will be going to Mexico. And some of the mission team will be traveling to Thailand this year in a few weeks. And, and, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see what God is doing in Thailand. And I would love to go to Taiwan. As we have sent, right, we have sent one of our very best. And, and, and when I think of Taiwan, and you guys think of bobas and whatever or not, but for me, <laughs> Taiwan is a place where there's less than 4% of the total populations who are a believer of Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you guys are thinking about other places, because we have tasted and seen the joy of worshiping Jesus and our desire. And God's desire is to see the families of the whole earth to be included in God's plan. Because if you take a look in Psalms 22, 27, this is what it says. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall, shall worship before me. And God's desire, God's cry, right, is for the whole nations to come and to worship. So mission fueled by the joy of worshiping our Father and whose cry has always been focused on the nations, not just here at CLC, not here in Oakland, not in California, for the whole nations. And we as God's ambassadors, we are to take up the missions to reach the people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And up to now, you guys are like, okay, I've heard it before. 
this year, last year, and next year, it's going to be the same thing. But you know what? I want to be frank here. You can't command what you don't cherish, and you can't proclaim what you don't prize. Let me say that again. You can't command what you don't cherish, and you can't proclaim what you don't prize. And so as we were praying, as we were kind of figuring out what to do for our mission series of 2023, our desire for the next four weeks is that you would rekindle your love, your worship for God. I really want you to fall madly in love with our Father. Because when we understand that is exactly what God is committed in gathering his worshipers to be sent out, to be ambassadors, to be the hands and the feet. That's why we take time off to go to these places. Why? Because missions exist because worship doesn't. You know, it was at 1988 Urbana that I had received my missional calling. And I still remember vividly that day, there were about 23, 24,000 that gathered. And out of the 24,000, 16,000 people got up. I don't know how they found out, right? Maybe they, they collected the cards. I don't know. Some 16,000 people got up to devote their lives to missions. And I was one of the 16,000 people. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I just kind of wonder, a little question that popped up is this, how many of those 16,000 people are still in the mission field or doing something with missions? You know, there's a word that Pastor Calvin loves to use, and I love it. And he says, we need to become a transformed people of God. We need to become transformed people. We cannot stay still. We cannot be a status quo. Those of you guys who are married, I know what you I know what 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 it takes to keep a marriage. You, you just cannot stay at the same level, right? Some of you girls, women, you know, who, who are kind of lavishly, you know, events, and you know, you want more events, better events the following years, right? Anniversary, birthdays, and whatever or not. It takes efforts, right? And same thing. You know, Romans 12.1, if I were to kind of rephrase that in my own words, this would be, renew the minds, take seriously the needs that you see what is in the world, and you carry out the ones that move you deeply. Renew minds, take serious the needs that you see in the world, and you carry out the ones that you move deeply. And our desire for you, especially just the month of missions, is that I want you to kind of rekindle that, that fire that maybe, you know what, you had received at the age of 18, 23, the yesteryears. You know, yes, I think it's beautiful that God can use 16,000 people. That's great. But you know what? Sometimes God only needs one. As one individual is obedient to follow the call from God, 
and whose lives significantly impact those people. And, and we know, I just read it, Abraham did it, Noah did it, and many, many missionaries that you probably have never heard have done it or still doing it in those places. In 1890, um, a church called Bethlehem, a 29-year-old Swedish Baptist church, sent out a Minnie and Ola Hansen to an unreached people group in Burma, to a group called the Kachins. They were a very, very vengeful, cruel, and treacherous tribal group, now known as the country of Myanmar. And when they arrived, the Burmese king declared to the Hansons, so you're here to reach the Kachins? And he pointed to the dog. You see my dog over there? I tell you, it will be easier to convert those dogs, teach my dogs new tricks, than teach those Kachins. You're just wasting your time. Because the Kachins were completely illiterate, with no written languages. But over the next 30 years, the Hansons collected about 25,000 words and published a Kachin English dictionary. And in 1911, they finished translating the New Testament. And on August 11, 1926, they completed the Old Testament as well. And on August 14, 1926, a letter was sent back to their home church in Sweden as they wrote, It is with my heartfelt gratitude that I laid this work at the feet of my master as he had called me into this glorious work. I know I'm conscientious of the defects of my work and my labor. I have tried, tried so earnestly to master the Kachins and make a translation that is intelligibly to all of them. But I ask that would you pray with us that our divine master would bless this work to the salvation of the whole Kachin race. Well, today... And this, this excerpt was actually written in 2012. Today, virtually all Kachins can read and write their own languages as well as Burmese, their national language, and over half a million Kachins, Christians, in Myanmar, all because obedience of this one couple, Mini and Ola Hansen, that you've never heard before. So God says to Abraham, get up, leave your country, your family, your people to a land, a place that I will show you so that you could fill and you could fill in your names so that you could be a blessing to those people. And I think that is the true beauty of missions. And when we actually come to the New Testament, we actually discover another individual who actually had an incredible conversion, a supernatural call, I might say, and how this one man single-handedly blessed the entire Gentile nations. And we all know who his, his name is, right? Because he's the most popular person in the New Testament. His name is Paul. And if you look at his Acts chapter 26, kind of retelling the story because his conversion actually happens in Acts chapter 9, but he retells this again of his conversion story while he's on trial. And this is what he says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 26. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. 
At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than any of the sun that shone around me and those who journey with me. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But arise, stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen and to those who, which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by my, my faith in me. So he's actually retelling his story, his conversion story during his trial at Caesarea. Now, I, I want you to take a look at verse 13 because it, it must have been a very, very bright light because he kind of, you know, says to King Agrippa, right? He says to King Agrippa, in the midday, O king, I saw a light brighter than the sun, as he is traveling abroad in a daylight under the full sun, a brighter light than the intensity of the sun, got his full attention to blinded him. And I want you to go down to verse 14 and 15, where it says, he fell to the ground and he begins to ask a question. N not just one question, but he asked two questions. Now, this is your extra credit for this, not week, actually today. So you don't have to take home your homeworks, okay? I, I want you to ask yourself these two questions. First question is, who are you? And the second question is, what do you want me to do? Because he asked the same thing to Jesus. Who are you and what do you want me to do? And this morning, I want you to ask the same question. Now, you could do it when you're flipping those steaks and, and ribs, but... I want you to ask the same question. Who are you and what do you want me to do? You know, over the years, I I've noticed something about people's conversion stories. As people come to me and they tell me, like, you know, I've gone to church all my life. I grew up in the church. I lived in the church, you know. And so initially, kind of, I've made that kind of a commitment, little commitment here, Bigger commitment there. And then finally, you know what? I made that real commitment. And for some others, conversion happens instantly, suddenly. It's like an epiphany that happens, like me. But sometimes, some other people, it is catastrophic. It's the death of someone that you know, a biopsy report. And suddenly, God has your attention. And suddenly they give their life over to Jesus. Now, we all know the story of Saul's conversion, right? And Saul of Tarsus has heard the testimony of Jesus. If you look in Acts chapter 6, he was there when Stephen was declaring, right? He was actually holding the cloak, right? He was there as people were stoning. But that didn't convert him. As Paul of Tarsus heard the testimonies, the preachings, the spreading of the gospel in Jerusalem, which he was very, very familiar with. But it didn't do him anything good. But now, if you look at the story in Acts chapter 26, all of a sudden he's knocked down. He fell to the ground. He's on the ground. 
I want to pause here for a moment. If there's anybody in this room who hasn't given your life over to Jesus, or those of you guys who are listening over the internet, I think our Lord is a gentleman because he nudges. He might nudge you through hearing a message, or he might nudge you through hearing of a radio program, podcast, or maybe he nudges you, maybe you're at a concert or a, uh, a, a revival. So he nudges you. Or he might even nudge you through a relative, a friend that come and share the gospel with you. But that doesn't stop. Because he runs to us. When the nudging doesn't work, he runs to us. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's a God's knock. Bam! And now, all of a sudden, you're down. You're pinned to the ground, and you have no options. And finally, this is where Saul says, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus, he was waiting, right? He was waiting. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And the response is like, I think, is amazing because he's in shock. Because... Because not only is he blind, you know, right? Not only is he blind, and there's no outside stimulus that can come to his head. He's only confined to his thought right now, okay? I want you to imagine that. Now, he's in shock because every single thing that he has, he has come to believe to be what the truth is, is now being challenged, his view on the Old Testament laws, his concept of God, his idea of Messiah, the afterlife, and finally, the resurrection of Jesus is being challenged before his shut eyes because not only does he hear the audible voice speaking to him, who knows his name, by the way, there's actually a double intonation. As you read, as we read, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so Saul asks the question, who are you, Lord? Who are you, sir? As he hears, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You know, there's another aspect I want you guys to visualize as he's asking that question. He's only confined to his thought because his visual is gone. All those years that Jesus was to him was just an ordinary person. Now, he has heard the gospel many, many times, and that he just probably, right, on the road to Damascus, he has heard that recently Jesus had died. And yet, on this road to Damascus, he isn't dead after all. He's alive, and he's talking to him right now. Not only is he listening to his voice, Jesus appears before him. 
I want you to look at his testimony that he actually shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I had received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again from the third day, according to the scriptures. And now he was seen by the Cephas, and then the twelve, and now he has seen over the five hundred brethren. And this is a testimony of a man who lived his entire life rejecting the truth. Rejecting the afterlife, rejecting the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now this is the testimony of a renewed, a transformed person. And so, after this kind of an integration process, who are you? That led him to a conviction, and that he says, What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? And the Lord says to him, now, it's not found in this passage. And the reason I chose this passage is because I want you to understand the incredible, the power of a one individual being called by God, being sent out to become a blessing to the entire Gentile nations. But the second question that he asks is, that, what do you want me to do? Is actually found in Acts chapter 9, his conversion story. This is where he says, so as he trembled and astonished, he said, what do you want me to do, Lord? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city, and I will tell you what you need to do. Now, I want us to stop here for a moment because I want to ask you the question, you know, why didn't Jesus all of a sudden say, hey, you know what? Saul, I know that you're persecuting me, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock you down, right? You're going to call me Lord, and I'm gonna just going to, hey, you know, I'm going to open your heart, open your eyes, and you're going to be... You know, seriously, why didn't Jesus just say, okay, Saul, right now, believe in your heart that I am the Messiah, and then confess with your mouth that you will be saved and get baptized, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why didn't he do that? You ever think of that? Have you guys ever thought of, like, why did he go through such a, like, an extensive process, extra work? Because he tells him, go into town. He's blind, right? Go into town, and I'll tell you what to do. And so you guys all know that Saul had to wait for three days, right, until Ananias comes and prays over him. Why did Jesus go through the whole problem of speaking through a vision to Ananias, to get him to speak to Saul? I mean, why not just pass go, collect $200, and just forget about the middle person, Ananias? Why? 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 Because Jesus delights in using people. Jesus delights using you and I for global missions. Jesus delights using one particular person. We're called the body of Jesus Christ. He delights in letting people like Ananias to be the human face for the invitation of Christ into the body of the church. You see, we must never underestimate the power of one personal touch, personal testimony of one single person used by God to reach others. I mean, think about it. Most of us who are in this room, how did you become 
followers of Jesus Christ, most because of a personal testimony or somebody led you to a venue that you heard the gospel. The power of one person. And so, as he says, who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And this is the kind of what God has planned for the life of Saul or Paul. Rise and stand up on your feet. I have appeared to you for the purpose that you will become a minister and witness both the things you have seen and the things I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, from the Jewish to the Gentile nations, who I will send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by my faith in me. That was the purpose. God went through all this process because he wanted to transform one person because he knew that he would reach the nations. Have you, have you guys ever seen Paul's three missionary journeys? Hey, there's a map that I want to show you. This is what he did. After being called by God, this is where he traveled to. This is where he traveled to. <laughs> he traveled more than 50 countries, encompassing some 10,000 miles on foot. Okay, those days, they didn't have the luxury of planes and, and, and they had boats, but he traveled over 10,000 miles on just foot, spreading the message of the gospel to the Gentile nations. Yes, God would love to use 16,000 people, and yet sometimes worship doesn't work. That's why he's sending one person to the mission field. And because of this one person, the whole entire Gentile nation came to know the Lord. When I was in my seminary class, and I still remember this evangelism class, I still remember the vivid story that he told me, my evangelism professor. Yeah, but you know what? There are so many places to go, and I'm just one person. It would be better, you know, if we could, God could just move 16,000 people to go 16,000 places. And I still remember my professor telling me this one story. A story where a boy on a beach was throwing back these starfishes on the shores of the oceans. And on the shores of the ocean, there were millions of starfishes. And a man came to the little boy and says, you know what, boy, what a foolish thing you're doing. Because you know what, you can't, you know, save all these starfishes. You know, it's, it's, it's for yourself to throw all these starfishes back in the oceans. It's futile. And this little boy looked at the man directly and says, well, the least, the one that I throw back in the ocean, that one will survive. The people of God, sometimes we have this knack. I'm just, uh, uh, just one individual. 
You know, like, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. I'm shy. I'm, I'm just a person that, you know what, uh, but at least if you talk one person, you'll be able to save that one person. It wasn't until this morning that I shared with you Ola and Minnie Hansen. But how many of you guys know Edward Kimball? Probably nobody. Edward Kimball was concerned about one of his Sunday school students who was working at a shoe store in town. And one day Kimball visited him from his busyness. He found the little student back in a stock, uh, stock room, stocking the shoes. There and there, he led that boy to Christ. His name was Dwight L. Moody. And he eventually left the shoe store to become one of the greatest preacher evangelists of all time. Now, Moody, whose international speaking took him to British Isles, preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man with the imposing name of Frederick Broughton Meyer. In his sermon, Moody told of an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher he had known in Chicago who personally went every student in his class to lead them to Christ. And this message actually challenged Pastor Meyer's entire ministry, inspiring him to become the evangelist like Moody. And over the years, Meyer had come to America several times to preach and once in Northfield, Massachusetts, a confused young preacher sitting in the back of the row heard Meyer's preaching. If you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And that remark led to J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God. And eventually Chapman went on to become one of the greatest effective evangelists of his time and he volunteered, a volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday at his crusade had learned how to preach and watch Chapman. And Billy Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most dynamic evangelists of the 20th century. And Billy Sunday's preaching turned thousands and thousands of people over to Christ. Inspired by 1924, Billy Sunday's crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a committee of Christians there dedicated themselves to reaching out all the people in the city for Christ. The committee invited an evangelist, Morakai Ham, to a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. And a lanky 16-year-old sat in the front pew of that night's meeting, spellbind by the message of this old white-haired preacher who seemed to be shouting and waving his fingers at him. Night after night, this young teenager attended and finally gave his life over to Christ. You may never heard of Edward Kimball, but this guy, this 16-year-old teenager that night who gave himself to Christ was none other than Billy Graham. One man who had undoubtedly communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to more than any other one person in the history of evangelism. I want you guys to seek into that moment. I want us to kind of remember how the sequence 
Like some of you guys says, when is he going to stop reading those names? <laughs> and nobody named Kimball concerned for one student in his Sunday school. He took out his busy time to go over to the shoe store to become a witness. And that change led to millions of people who have been affected by Billy Cram's crusade. If there's anybody in this room ever doubt, can this ever happen again? You bet. So for the first next four weeks, I want you to get ready. I want you to prepare your hearts. Set your hearts on fire. I don't know how you're going to be able to do that. It's up to you. But I want you to get ready. I want you to set or prepare your heart, your own individual heart, as God begins to prepare for us to go. Now, I'm not saying I want you to go to the, the jungles. Now, if, if that's what God is calling us, great. But I want you to go. Don't stand idle. I want you to go. And then my desire and our desire is for all of you guys, all of us, to once again, to rekindle this worship that God has set before us. And our intention, our intention that one person can make a difference. And so I actually titled my message, Power of One. Let me pray. Lord, it, it didn't take a crusade, and it didn't take a, a, a concert, it only took you, one person, knowing that you had died and you had resurrected. And when we actually claim to have Jesus in our heart, Father God, I pray that our, our heart that once was so fired up, I pray, Father Lord, that would you just blaze it? Would you just make us into a, a people of God and an individual who's so fired up for you? Father God, you know, mission exists because worship doesn't. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that during this month would our worship become life. Father, I thank you for, for my sins that you have paid so that we could actually become a new, a transformed people and that our old self is no longer and you have given us a new life in you. And with that new life, help me, help us to go, to go and share that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.